Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's time for Come and Talk It with your host, Michael Cargill, brought to you by Texas Law Shield. Over the last decade, Michael has championed and supported the rights of law-abiding Texans to own and use firearms. He is the owner of Central Texas Gunworks, a veteran of the United States Army, and has achieved national exposure in such prestigious media outlets such as Forbes Magazine, Fox Business News, CNN Money, AOL, BBC World News, Huffington Post, and the New York Times. Cargill vigorously defends lawful gun ownership in this country without regard to party politics. And now, here's Michael Cargill. Good afternoon, Austin, Texas, the live music capital of the world. Let's praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. Today on the show, we will have Matt Makoviak. Uh, Matt is a political communications consultant and the president of Potomac Strategy Group. And we will discuss with Matt the possibility of a national reciprocity bill and Hearing Protection Act passing within the first 100 days of the new Trump administration. Also, we will have on the phone Lashadian Anthony, who was arrested and charged with resisting arrest and disorderly conduct in Arlington, Texas, for carrying a long gun, but was found not guilty earlier this week. This is so pathetic. Can you believe that officers in the state of Texas which has long been seen as one of the more gun-friendly states, arrested an individual because he was peacefully carrying a legal firearm in plain view. But before we get to Matt and our guest, most known about, most people know that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and his nonviolent civil protests, we've all heard of Dr. King. What most don't know was that he believed in Americans' right to bear arms as outlined in the Second Amendment, and even once possessed an arsenal and posted armed guards and applied for a concealed handgun permit. Now, most people think that Dr. King would be the last person to own a gun. Yet in 1956, as the civil rights movement heated up, Dr. King turned to firearms for self-protection, and he even applied for a permit to carry a concealed handgun. Now, this was not out of the norm for civil rights organizers in the 1950s and 60s, nor was it the only firearm that Dr. King kept around him. Receiving countless death threats from both civilians and law enforcement, armed supporters took turns guarding King's home and family after his permit was denied, knowing too well that the Klan was targeting him for assassination. They also knew that they would likely receive little resistance from the local authorities. Now, William Worthy, who is a black journalist who covered Dr. King in the 1950s, reported that he once went to sit down on an armchair in Dr. King's living room and almost sat on a loaded gun. Now, King's advisors, Glenn Smiley, described that the great pacifist home as containing an arsenal. So now, the Mississippi doctor, a founder of the Regional Council of Negro Leadership, which is T.R.M. Howard, uh, he kept a 
said he kept a Thompson machine gun at the foot of his bed and escorted those affected by hate to and from their homes in a heavily armed caravans. Now, likewise, white sit-in organizers John Arm Salter, who also uh, traveled uh, with Dr. King and traveled in the 50s, once said that, I'm alive today because of the Second Amendment and the natural right to keep and bear arms. Now, Dr. King balanced a drew he balanced and drew a distinction between what he knew would bring success to his civil rights movement, nonviolent resistance and love, and what would protect him as his home, violent resistance and guns. He was more concerned as a family man than a civil leader and carried out the success and protection of each differently. One lesson the gun advocates took from the earlier Dr. King and his more aggressive followers is if the police can't or won't protect you, a gun may be your last line of defense. Dr. King did not acquire his concealed carry permit because of prejudicial reasons, but that didn't stop him from trying to apply. And then while Rosa Parks was pushing the bounds of buses, King was pushing the borders of bullets by requesting state authorities grant him a firearm permit because his life was threatened daily, clearly meeting the law's requirements. After he was assassinated, the first major federal gun control since the 1930s was the Gun Control Act of 1968. From that point onward, Democrats have used civil rights sentiment as a weapon to dismantle rather than justify Americans' Second Amendment rights. No one really knows if Dr. King would have given up any of hope, any of that hope of armed self-defense if he would have been able to acquire his firearm permit. Some people love to show how Dr. King altered some of his self-defense views later in life. But the facts are what they are. When it came to self-defense, as a man of the cloth in the 1950s, Dr. King, who was, so to speak, held the Bible in one hand and a gun in the other. Even Jesus, the night before he was crucified, told his disciples, whoever has a sword is to sell his coat and buy a sword. All right, so now let's get back to our guests. All right, so let me welcome to the show uh, Matt Makoviak. Matt is a political communication consultant and the president of Potomac Strategy Group. Matt, welcome to Come and Talk It, sir. Hey, Mike, how are you? Outstanding. So, Matt, I tell you, you know, uh, Friday, we're going to have Inauguration Day. Uh, President, well, soon to be President Trump will be inaugurated, and we're going to have a change in power. So how is that going to look for the members of the Second Amendment community? Well, I think that um, you can make a pretty strong case that the Obama administration has really had a target on lawful gun ownership really from day one. Um, you can look at the gun running operations, the, uh, you know, really trying to shut down the gun manufacturers with lawsuits, just the way the Justice Department hasn't prosecuted gun crimes, you know, obviously not supporting things like reciprocity. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And of course, <clears throat> When we've had these tragedies happen in schools across the country, the first thing they want to do is uh, take guns out of the hands of, of law-abiding citizens and make sure only criminals have guns. 
so it's become a matter of sort of religious belief on the left that guns shouldn't be uh, lawful in the United States. They want to go to a model similar to what you see in a, in a country like Australia. It's pretty clear to me that uh, the Trump-Pence administration is going to go 180 degrees in the other direction. And one of the most interesting things about the Obama years, and in fact this is something that Senator John Cornyn said on Friday, uh, excuse me, I think it was Senator Ted Cruz said it on Friday, uh, which is that you know this this, this uh, desire by the Obama folks to to try to make guns uh, unlawful has really made people go out and purchase legally purchase guns um, much more quickly and, and with greater urgency these last eight years. So they've had the actually they've actually had the opposite effect of what they wanted. So look, I think to your question on Friday when President Donald Trump and Vice President Mike Pence are sworn in, um, my guess is that, that that as part of those as part of that the first day actions on Friday or perhaps on Monday, uh, they are going to rescind executive orders that limit the lawful uh, carry of, of guns in the United States. Now, whether that would include something like like reciprocity uh, or some of these laws that uh, make it illegal to, to carry uh, in a federal area if you're driving through a park to get from one city to another. I think those kinds of, those kinds of regulations, I think, are in real danger. Now, I think that the challenge is uh, you still need 60 votes in the United States Senate to pass a bill, and you only got 52 Republicans. Now, you might have two or three, let's say, pro-Second Amendment uh, Democrats in the Senate. You could imagine someone like John Tester of Montana, perhaps, uh, Heidi Heitkamp of, of, uh, of North Dakota, perhaps, Joe Manchin of West Virginia, perhaps. But that only gets you to 55 votes. You're still five votes short for passing serious pro-Second Amendment legislation. So I think that, again, I think that the good news is Trump and Pence will stop the bad things that Obama and his Department of Justice and ATF have been doing to try to really shut down lawful gun ownership in America, but I think taking positive steps is going to be a much, much harder thing to achieve because you've got to get 60 votes in the Senate. Now, uh, what do you think is going to happen with, the, uh, with Putin? Is he going to play a role in how Trump is going to lead the next four years, and is that going to affect us here in Texas at all? Well, I hadn't thought about the Russia relations with Russia in terms of Texas. I think that um, I think that there's no question that the U.S.-Russian bilateral relationship is as bad as it's been probably in 20 years. Uh, you have what seems clear to me and clear to the intelligence community is Russia uh, taking action, taking uh, cyber hacking actions against Americans and American institutions, uh, trying to impact the election. I don't believe that they decided the election. I think that's a uh, really a bridge too far. But I think that cyber hacking is going to be investigated. It already is by the Senate and the House Intelligence Committees. Now, <clears throat> the challenge with Russia is Russia is not just a geopolitical adversary, like Mitt Romney said four years ago. Um, they're also a potential ally in Syria, uh, because uh, while they are propping up the Assad regime in Syria, they're also anti-ISIS. And so I think this is what Trump has, has really tried to, to focus on, is that uh, we don't necessarily, in his, in his view, need to have an adversarial relationship with Russia on every single issue all the time. It's possible that you could have uh, a 
situation where we can work with Russia to try to defeat ISIS in Syria and to try to finally end the refugee crisis. Now, I don't think Putin would ever um, uh, come to agree that, that Assad would have to leave, and I don't see how you end the refugee crisis if Assad stays in power. So that's part of why the Syrian question is such a complex one. But look, I mean, I think I think we have to be very sober about Putin. Uh, I don't believe he has American interests in mind. I think he wants to reconstitute the old Soviet Union. I think he wants to break down NATO. Um, I think he wants to test America. He certainly tested Obama and realized Obama was not serious. And that's why he seized Crimea, and that's why he's threatened Ukraine, and that's why he's um, made some noise about going into the Baltic states and testing our NATO commitments. So these are all really serious issues. I mean, World War III could potentially start uh, in a situation where he uh, seizes, let's say, Estonia and the Baltic states, and then because of our Article 5 commitments in NATO, we have to send troops to defend Estonia. My guess is most Americans don't realize we have to defend Estonia, and they probably don't want to start World War III over Estonia. But if you let him take Estonia, then what does he take next? Does he take Ukraine? Does he take Poland? I mean, where do we draw the line? So these are the kinds of, of, of questions that I think are really important for the future. And obviously, uh, you know, there is a lot of interest in exactly what what Putin was up to, uh, how it affected our election, and what the results of the cyber hacking investigation ultimately show. Okay. And then what about the national reciprocity bill uh, so that license holders would be able to carry their firearms in different states across the United States? Just kind of like a a driver's license. You know, you get a driver's license in Texas and that driver's license is recognized in other states. So do you think that's something that we can actually get accomplished? Because I know the bill has been filed. Sure, it's filed every two years, uh, and you know it's always it's always kind of right on the precipice. It certainly would have, I think, majority support in both houses. But again, in the Senate, you have to have 60 votes, and as I said before, you only have 52 Republicans. Mm. So this is what's so interesting about the next two years: is you have Democrats promising, pledging, swearing that they're going to oppose Trump at every turn. But the problem is that 10 of them are running in 2018 from the Senate in states that Trump won in November, Mm. four of whom uh, are running in states where Trump won 56% of the vote. So at some point, Democratic unity is going to split. And the question is, over what issues is it going to split? I think Obamacare could be one issue, since Obamacare is so unpopular. But obviously, Second Amendment rights are very popular. They're popular with the majority of the public, and they're very popular in red states, the kind of states that Trump won. So I don't know whether Democrats are going to be able to block pro-Second Amendment bills in the Senate. I do think it's it's a heavy lift to get eight Democratic votes in the Senate to get from 52 to 60. As I said before, I think they can get to 55 or 56. It might take more than two years to get to 60. You might have to beat some of these so-called moderate Democrats from red states if they take enough bad votes that go against the wishes of their own of their own citizens. All right, we're talking with Matt McAviak. He's a political communications consultant and the president of Potomac Strategy Group. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. You're listening to Come and Talk at Radio with Michael Cargill. Welcome. 
Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now, here's Michael Cargill. All right, so we're back talking with Matt McAviak. Matt is a political communications consultant, and he's the president of Potomac Strategy Group. Also, late in the hour, we're going to talk with Lashadian Anthony, who was arrested and charged with resisting arrest and disorderly conduct in Arlington, Texas. We're going to talk about that case and how all that stuff came about. But we're talking with Matt about the concealed carry reciprocity bill. Also, we're talking about the uh, Suppressor Act. Uh, Justin, man, uh, what do you think about that bill? Uh, I like the fact that it's uh, grandfathered in, that if it does pass like that, uh, there's going to be a lot of people getting refunds. Ooh, is that in there? Yeah, yeah. I I, I, want to say that it's uh, back from October 2015. So anybody that has to, that it's paid for a stamp, uh, since October October of 2015, we'll actually get a refund. That's if it passes like that. We all know that the government hates giving us money back. So, And we're talking about the Hearing Protection Act, which would remove sound suppressors from regulation under the National Firearms Act, the NFA. Man, that's I, di- I didn't know that was in there. Yeah, but I also think that should apply for uh, short-barrel rifles, short-barrel shotguns, and stuff like that, You know, especially if we've got a Republican majority in both chambers and pretty much across the country. I think that... Uh, I think we should be going a little farther than that. But like what Matt was saying, you know, hey, we don't have that 60. You know, we have it's, you know, we have only 50. Right, Matt? Oh, did we lose him? I think we lost him for a second. So you are going to have two bills that are going to be must pass in the first two months. The first is the debt limit, uh, the debt limit increase, which uh, I think the debt limit expires in about six weeks. And, of course, you could attach, you know, any bill to that. You could, you know, attach reciprocity, for example. Uh, because that that bill has to pass. Now, I think that still has a 60-vote threshold in the Senate. Now, the more interesting bill is is the the, uh, reconciliation bill, the budget bill, which is how they're going to repeal Obamacare. Now, that is just a 51-vote threshold in the Senate uh, and then a majority vote in the House. You know, you could perhaps uh, include it into a bill like that. I actually think Republicans may want to have Democrats vote on reciprocity uh, in this in this current Congress because it does put a number of Democrats who are up for election in a very tough spot. They can either vote pro Second Amendment like their voters want them to, or they can vote against the Second Amendment and have to pay the consequences when they run for re-election. So I, I guess candidly, I'm not sure reciprocity will happen in the next two years. Wouldn't surprise me if it does happen in, the, in Trump's first term. But again, you got to have a path to 60 votes. Yeah, and and even you know it's not like Texas. In Texas, you know, if a bill if if the language is not germane, then you can't add it to something else. And when it, when we're dealing with the U.S. Congress, you can attach that to anything. Yeah, you, the only thing you can't do is you can't connect. You can't combine authorizing language with, with appropriating language. You can't authorize on appropriations. It's kind of a in the weeds technical term, but there's obvious there's obviously authorizing bills and there's appropriating bills, bills that spend money, and those are generally totally separate. But but you're right. I mean, you could attach a reciprocity bill to the debt ceiling or to a budget, like the reconciliation bill, because it, it, reciprocity probably wouldn't have a score to it. So there's got to be different ways to do it. And I would presume the NRA, the National Rifle Association, has their priority bills. They're working with the Trump administration. They obviously strongly supported Trump. In fact, I think they endorsed him earlier than they've ever endorsed a candidate for president in their history. And that was partly because Trump is right on the issues, but it's also partly because Hillary was so radical as a candidate against the Second Amendment. She wanted to basically do, you know, take what Obama did and, put, and, and, and really 
you know, put it on steroids. Oh, wow. So I think, again, I think the NRA is going to be a very effective uh, advocacy group to try to get these major pro-Second Amendment bills passed through the House and Senate. All right. So let's bring this back to Texas now. How are we looking at the, the Texas legislature this year as far as uh, the Second Amendment and things of that nature uh, from the GOP? Yeah, I mean, the one thing, I haven't heard a lot about a lot of bills. I'm sure there are some that have been filed. I think the one that has gotten some attention in the past and will again is, is this idea of constitutional carry, uh, which which is, and you were talking before about the guy that with the, the, the long rifle uh, legally possessing it and being around, you know, arrested and then having the charges dropped. Um, Obviously, there's a concealed carry bill. There's a concealed carry law in Texas that says that uh, a handgun, you know, can, can be concealed if you have a permit. Um, the question is, you know, do you have to have a permit to have a concealed handgun? And that's what constitutional carry is. This is a bill that's been filed in the past by State Representative Jonathan Stickland of Bedford up near Dallas-Fort Worth. I don't think that bill, just to be really candid, I don't think it has the votes in the House or the Senate. You've had law enforcement come out against it. Um, so, you know, we'll see. My guess is there will be a fight and there will be a discussion about that bill. We'll see if it gets to the Senate. The Senate is generally more conservative than the House. I don't know that it has the votes to get through the House, but it'll be another fight that will happen legislatively at the Capitol this session. I, no, I, I, I actually agree with you, uh, Matt. I'm just going to let you know right now, but then there's some people that disagree. No, yeah. he, no, here's the deal. I don't disagree that we don't have the votes if we don't get it to the floor. I think if you go around and you ask enough Republicans whether they support it or not, I agree, agree with you. We don't have the vote now let me ask you this we strategically get it to the floor and we floor and we force a roll call vote what do you think is going to happen well that's interesting it's um, going to pass you know, obviously that could be the kind of vote that could be used against a republican if and it will against it in the primary mark our words <laughs> yeah i'm sure i'm sure and listen i think i think the question is i'm not saying that I'm, I'm on one side or the other i'm just saying the question is is constitutional carry a majority viewpoint Right. I mean, just among the public, because I think if you have police chiefs testifying against it, I think that does. It wasn't the it wasn't it wasn't the it wasn't the public that elected them, though. It was it was it was 20 percent basically of uh, of the the population that is allowed to vote that elected them, though. You know what I'm saying? So so you can say, you know, we need 51 percent of the public to support this. In reality, no, we don't. That's not who's electing these people. Well, that's true. Yeah, you're, 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 you're right. Uh, you're right. I mean, there's, you know, you have to get through a primary and you have to get through a general election. Yep. I, mean, I think the bottom line is you've got 150 House seats. About 20 of them, or perhaps 30 of them, could be competitive in a general election. You've got 31 Senate seats, and basically one of those 31 is competitive in a general election. So all these incumbents, particularly incumbent Republicans, are worried much more about a primary than they are about a general election. And so to your point, that's why... You know, obviously, any vote on the Second Amendment uh, is is very touchy for them because they don't want to create a problem for themselves in a primary. So we'll see what happens. Uh, my guess is it won't get a vote for the reasons that that, that you've kind of made clear. We only um, we, let me put yeah. this out there. We only need ten Republicans to force a roll call vote on the House floor, and I can tell you right now that we have those ten Republicans. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, I don't understand procedure well enough to tell you if, if it's that simple. I mean, if that's what you're saying, then, then I'm sure that's right. But, yeah, <clears throat> if that's true, then, then it'll come to the floor and there'll be a vote. And my guess is constitutional carry gets 30 or 40 votes, you know, in the Texas House, from 50 votes maybe, something like that, and it, and it fails. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know. I, from my standpoint, I think Texas is one of the strongest Second Amendment states in the country, both in terms of popular opinion and in terms of our laws. 
so I, I don't think maybe I'm wrong. I know you guys follow these things closely, but I don't think most Second Amendment supporters in Texas think God. Texas isn't strong enough as, as, it, as it applies to our laws. We got to be stronger. We can always be stronger. We want to do smart things and pass smart laws. I just don't think there's a huge passion, broadly speaking, for constitutional carry. I could be wrong about that. I know you guys are passionate about it, but broadly speaking, I'm not sure it's there. The question is, do they want to gamble a primary on it? They, they, do they do they have the data to back it up, or do they are they are they wondering whether or not we have enough members in our in our bag to to basically get rid of them come the primary? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I, you know, I actually I've, I've been involved in, in successful primaries. Um, I know how hard they are. It's very hard to beat an incumbent uh, because incumbents have all the advantages. They have what they've done on the official side. They have their fundraising. They have their staff. They have name identification. They have, usually have more money. They have all the advantages you can have, and so they're very hard to defeat. And so, you know, if you want to go try to take thirty or forty incumbents out, I'd say good luck. If you want to go take well, five I don't think or ten we need out, take, I don't think we need to take that many out because like yeah, I said, yeah. I, I think I, if you want to focus, you know. We, if we get this vote yeah. on the floor, I have a hard time believing that anybody is going to vote against it, especially a Republican. So, was there a vote? Was there a, was there a vote two years ago? There no. was. There was not. We had uh, we had what we thought was the ten members needed, um, mm. but not all of them had the testicular fortitude to, to stick it out uh, when yeah. the day came. Yeah. And it kind of fell apart, but we're we're feeling pretty hopeful about it this time around. And anything yeah. can change because just like we just saw right now, uh, Joe Strauss, you know, got you know he he became Speaker of the House uh, unanimously. There was no opposition whatsoever. You know? He's also claiming this is going to be his last session as well, too, which, which, which leads to a lot of confusion or confusion at the House right now. A lot of people are scrambling, figuring out, you know, there's going to be a lot of power struggles there and a lot of people wanting that position and trying to set themselves up for that position. So I think that while they're doing that, they're not going to be paying attention to what we're doing. I think there's been speculation this may be his last session. He has not said that. Right. Yeah. Strauss has not said this is going to be his last session. I have not seen that. I think that would have been huge news if that were the case. Um, I, I don't. I don't doubt that there's a chance it is his last session. He's now broke the record. Um, you know, he's been there a long time. He had a very ugly primary last time. I think a lot of it's going to depend on how the session goes and how he feels about the results. Most expensive house seat in Texas. <laughs> yeah, it's true. All right, man, I tell you what. Thank you, Matt. I really appreciate you coming on the show today and, and lining this all out for us. Uh, we know we have to contact our, our U.S. senator. We have to contact our U.S. House representative to make sure that the Hearing Protection Act does come up and it is passed. Well, it actually is a bill, so it, it needs to uh, you need to contact them to make sure it's passed. It's Senate Bill 59 and, and it's H.R. 367 if you want the Hearing Protection Act to pass. Uh, contact your U.S. Senator, Senator John Cornyn or Senator Ted Cruz, and let them know that, hey, we need this done. Uh, we need the Hearing Protection Act passed so we can pull the silencers off or suppressors off the NFA list. And also, you know, call them and let them know that you want the uh, concealed carry reciprocity bill passed as well. So that way we can, uh, you know, leave Texas, leave the borders of Texas and travel in other states freely and, and not worried about, you know, whether or not we have to leave our gun at home or switch the gun out because our magazine capacity is too large or something of that nature. So let's, you know, let's get this stuff done this year. We can definitely get it done. And I hope that the Trump administration can actually get it done in the first 100 days. What do you think about that, Matt? 
Yeah, I mean, we'll see. Um, uh, you know, we're going to see what his priorities are, <clears throat> what his first 100-day priorities are. I think tax reform, repealing and replacing Obamacare, uh, putting a Supreme Court, a conservative on the Supreme Court, those are the big things I think he's going to go after. There will be other things, too, and I think he's going to make a lot of news either on Friday or Monday uh, when he, he uh, take, you know, rescinds Obama's executive orders and starts doing things on, on his first day in office. All right, awesome. Thank you, sir, and enjoy that Dallas Cowboys football game. Take care, guys. <laughs> All righty. All right, so that was Matt Makoviak. He is a uh, political consultant for the uh, strategy group, uh, the political, I'm sorry, political communications consultant for, uh, the, and also the president of Potomac Strategy Group. And he is also the, um, I think he's like the vice chair of the Travis County Republican Party as well uh, here in Travis County. And Matt's a really, he's a great guy. Definitely helps us out a lot, you know, here in Texas and also in Washington, D.C. All right. So also coming up, we have Lashadian, Lashadian Anthony, uh, who was arrested and charged with resisting arrest and disorderly conduct in Arlington, Texas, uh, for carrying a long gun, but was found not guilty earlier this week. And personally, I think this is, you know, this is really pathetic because, you know, officers in the state of Texas, you know, which has a long it's long been seen as one of the more gun-friendly states, you know, arrested this guy uh, for openly carrying a long gun, which is something that's been legal ever since, like, the 1800s. So, I mean, in Texas, we heavily regulate handguns, but we don't do that for long guns. And that's what the big fight is about constitutional carry. Hey, you know, long guns, you know, an AR-15, an AK-47 has been legal. Uh, you can legally openly carry a loaded AR-15, a loaded AK-47, and walk down Congress Avenue with it uh, in the state of Texas in Austin in the open without a license or any ID or anything. But, you know, the handgun, you cannot. And that's what the big fight of constitutional carry is. You know, we that's why some people feel that we need to pass constitutional carry so that, hey, it's no different than a long gun. Actually, it's a handgun. It's a lot smaller. So we should be able to openly carry the handgun without a license. So that's what constitutional carry is all about. Uh, but, you know, there is I, I think the problem with that is going to be um, maybe, you know, I don't know, the <sighs> we're whoever sponsored the bill or something like that. I know there's a fight with that. And so hopefully we can get all that stuff washed out. And, you know, cause our representative Stickland is a great guy. Uh, he's trying to do the right thing for his constituents. He's also trying to do the right thing for the state of Texas. And so we'll see what happens with that. But let me bring into the show, Lashadian Anthony, uh, Lashadian, welcome to come and talk it, sir. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. So Lashadian, tell me a little bit about, um, this story, you know, because it wasn't about you initially. It actually was about someone else. Something else happened and there was a protest and you were at the protest. But what happened to initiate you being, uh, well, initiate the protest starting or rally? Well, we're actually there uh, protesting the no bill of the officer that shot and killed unarmed Christian Taylor, a 19 year old college athlete and student. Um, who was jumping on some cars at a dealership. He was shot and killed by a rookie officer, and the grand jury decided not to prosecute, as they do in most cases. All right, so this uh, this guy was a football player or something like that? Yes, sir. All right, and so he was at a car dealership. This was late at night during the daytime? This was uh, late at night. Uh, believe that he was under the influence of some kind of drug. Not sure, uh, but he was jumping on property. Um, there was nobody around. There was no threat. And the officer 
who violated our policy, took it upon himself to go inside and shoot this unarmed kid over property damage. Okay. And what, did he charge him or something? No, sir. Okay. So in the end, he was no bill. Now, is there a civil suit against the police department or the, or the police officer? Um, I'm not sure what the parents are doing. We were there to support them, but I, I don't know much about their legal matters. But I do believe they are pursuing um, any and everything for justice for the child. Okay, and this shooting happened like last year sometime, correct? Yes, sir. Yes. Okay. All right, so the shooting happened last year, and it was in North Texas. Yes, sir. In All Arlington, right. Texas. In Arlington, okay. And so this was the Arlington Police Department. Yes, sir. All right. So you guys were in Arlington and you're doing uh, because of this particular shooting and the officer being, uh, I guess, no build or not charged or whatever. You guys, uh, there was a protest. And yes. so what you wanted to do was openly carry your long gun, your AR uh, at the protest to make sure, yes. I guess, the protesters, you know, were, take care of their safety, make sure they were going to be OK. Yes, sir. All right. And so what happened? So we start we start our protest at the police station. So um, we're at the police station, and so the police are aware that I'm there. Um, so I'm there with my, my long arm, me and another guy, and, and we start. And initially, uh, as we start marching, an officer asked me to sling my weapon. Now, I had a sling on my weapon, but there's no state law that requires me to sling my weapon. So I respectfully declined and said, no, I'm not going to sling it. And so we continue to march, and we have a police escort, so they're aware that I'm there, um, and they're escorting us as we march through the streets of Arlington. Um, about five or ten minutes into the march, another officer comes up to me and says, um, sling your weapon. I respectfully tell him, look, uh, I'm not going to sling my weapon. There's no law that says I have to sling my weapon, and I'm not going to sling my weapon. So we continue to march. We march maybe 20, 25 minutes, and we come to a, a concert in Arlington, so there's a public concert, so now our protest has met their concert. Um, and the, the band that was on the stage was kind enough to uh, address the, the crowd and let them know why we were there, who we were there for, and show their support for us being there. Um, at that time, uh, at that time, one of the ladies of the concert of the park was good friends with a police officer. So she called the police officer, let them know that we had come to their concert. And at that point, they decided to violate my rights by arresting me, even though I had not committed a crime. All right, so, so we're talking court. with we're talking with Lashady and Anthony, and he's telling us about what happened in North Texas uh, with him being arrested with openly carrying a long gun and charged with uh, causing alarm and disorderly conduct. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talking. This is State Representative Jonathan Sticklin, and you are listening to Come and Talk It on Talk 1370. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right. So we're talking with Lashady and Anthony, and he's breaking it down for us, telling us what happened in Arlington, Texas about a year ago. Uh, there is a, a protest, a rally uh, to protest the fact that an officer was no billed after shooting a young man who was now. This is where I have to I kind of jump on you a little bit, Lashady, because uh, not you, but, you know, just this whole situation, because it seemed like that's criminal mischief at night to me. 
you know, I'm I'm a, a LTC instructor, and when you say someone's doing something, you know, in a dealership, you know, nighttime, and that that and what you describe sounds like criminal mischief. Under the Texas Penal Code, daily force would be justified. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know anything about the law. I just know if someone is unarmed and doesn't have a weapon, um, they probably shouldn't be shot to death. I think under the Constitution and every other law that we have, right, um, that that you're supposed to get your day in court. Correct. Whether he's guilty or innocent, I'm not saying the young man wasn't wrong in what he was doing, right. but ultimately he doesn't deserve to die. Yeah. Now, your your situation, I mean, I don't think you did anything wrong at all, but uh, I, and I listened to that, and I, I have to honestly tell you, you know, I, if it was me, you know, my property or something like that, and he's, you know, it's criminal mischief at night, I'd have popped him. <laughs> You know, yeah, I mean, and I, I, I feel sorry, and I, I'm, I I'm sorry to the family and all that stuff. But hey, that's that's just how I feel. I think if it was you and your property, then right. you're well within your rights. I think that um, somebody's dealership and you know all those cars are, are insured or whatnot. I think that's a totally different circumstance. I don't know. I don't know. Let me let me ask my my studio audience. What do you think? Let me ask my instructor. One of my instructors. Yes. I uh, I think he was definitely in the wrong. Um, <clears throat> You don't know what kind of substance anybody's on. Um, there, there's so much open interpretation, especially at nighttime. Right. Uh, you don't know what you're dealing with. That officer doesn't know what situation he's getting into, especially with modern events. Officers are, you know, attacks are on the rise. It's. I wasn't there, but I kind of. I'm with Mike on this one. What you think? Uh. I think it's a tough call. Maybe he should have got tased instead, though. Okay. Say it from the uh, um, the dark hair white guy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe he should have got tased. Okay, all right. I think the bigger the bigger issue is this. They have protocols in place for that. And uh, I mean, his own superior officers came out and said he was he was dead wrong. Oh, really? Did they really? Yeah, he didn't follow protocol. He violated every bit of protocol, and, and they fired him. And, and they took a stance immediately that so he know, was he so he was fired. So he was fired from the police department. Yes, sir. Okay. Wow. Okay. And uh, what? So what is the? Do you know what the Arlington Police Department's policy is? Just, I, I'm just. I curious. don't know. I just know that he didn't follow instruction. Okay. That's gotcha. what was told from his gotcha. from the okay. police department. Okay. Sounds good. All right. All right. Janai, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. I don't. I don't think that he should have been there doing that. You know, I wasn't there. Um, what what substance was the was the gentleman on? Was I think it, it was just marijuana? Was it marijuana? It was, it was just marijuana. It was marijuana. Okay. And that usually keeps you calm. And he may have been laced with something, but marijuana is typically you know something that keeps you calm. So you know, kind of. So I don't, I don't think that really affected anything, unless there was something else in there that really you know. Yeah, I don't know. Made him I kind mean, of psychedelic or something. Maybe. Something happened that made the officer feel threatened. Yeah. These guys deal with situations all the time. Is this a big? Was he a big guy? Yeah, was he a big guy? No, he was a. I mean, he was a 19-year-old wide receiver, not very big, not very strong. You know, not. He was a slim fit young kid. Huh? Okay. Again, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not taking up for what he was doing. I just believe that that's the reason we have a judicial and court system. Is that absolutely people go to trial and. and and have their day in court with the jury, their peers, or before a judge, and then their sentence is determined. I mean, we got people that have, that have done far worse that get to go to court and 
and get sentenced. Absolutely. And now, a young college great. student that, that mm-hmm. lost his life. Absolutely. And in in his defense, who is not here to defend himself, I'm going to say this. Yes, you know, they you know should have the officer probably should have said, hey, okay, what is anything going on? What's going on? And I'm sure there was a maybe some communication we could hear, like a dash cam footage or something like that. So maybe asked a couple of questions and then maybe tr- attempted to take him into custody before just pulling out the gun and shooting him. Or like, you know, someone said using the pepper spray or using a, a, uh, the taser, taser mm-hmm. you know, would have been definitely a good option. So, yeah. So in his defense, then yes, absolutely. All right. So sure. now you so you were telling us about this story. So you guys were at the concert. You, you marched from point A to the concert. You're at the concert and the. The band had actually acknowledged the fact that, you know, you guys were there. Um, and then what happened? And then um, we were leaving. We were actually leaving the concert because ultimately um, when we started the protest and we started armed, one, I'm already aware that I'm a black male with a, with an AR-15. So I'm already aware that, um, that a lot of people aren't going to like that. So well, I wasn't aware that we were going to go into a public concert. So my initial thing was to, um, you know, do what we got to do. If they were going to get a chant, I, I actually talked to the people on the stage and said, look, man, if you guys can give an announcement, we can get out of here. Because I was uncomfortable with that many people around knowing my situation. So um, they made the announcement, and I'm gathering all the people to leave. So as we're leaving out, I was then uh, met by several officers, somewhere between seven to ten officers, who met me and said, hey, sling your weapon and as I'm telling him no I'm not going to sling my weapon again the officer launches at my weapon and attempts to take my weapon from my arms um, now mind you when, when he approached me he was only so many feet away from me maybe four to five feet away from me he didn't give me enough safe distance to sling my weapon from the position that was at Port of Arms north and south um, to, to really sling my weapon anyway so I wasn't going to sling it because it wasn't safe for me to do so because um, I didn't want to point my weapon at an officer who just killed an, uh, an unarmed kid. So I know what they're capable of. So at that point, he attempted to take the weapon from my arms, and he's wrestling the weapon. Once he swung the weapon at the crowd of about 1,500 people, um, I decided at that point to let it go because I didn't want him to shoot anyone, and then it'd be blamed on me. So I let the weapon go, let them have it, and they took me into custody. Now you were having you had it at Port Arms, you know what I call Port Arms, because judging by the pictures that I see online, and just so people understand what Port Arms is, because I'm in the military, I, well, used to be in the military, and that's north and south. So the barrel is pointing north at the sky, and the buttstock is pointing toward the ground. So you know, straight up and down. Now, because that's that's a you're marching. You this 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 whole thing took quite a while, correct? So we're talking that's like correct. maybe. From beginning to the point that this happened, maybe an hour? Um, yeah, about 35, 40 minutes. Um, okay, so 35, 40 minutes, 45 minutes or so, uh, you, you have it at port arms. Now, your arms are getting tired. So at any time, did you think that you were maybe flashing the crowd at all? Never. You never flashed? You never brought it down never. at all? Okay. Never. And, you know, and why wouldn't you... Because me, I'm maybe because I'm I'm just not as strong as you are. You know, maybe you do a lot more push-ups than I do. Uh, but yeah. I I probably would have slung it. You know, because because <laughs> that probably would have right. just you know worn my arms. <laughs> but you know, it's still you weren't doing anything wrong if it's at Port Arms. Yes, sir. And because it, just so people understand, Port Arms, you know, like in the military, is it, when you have a firearm, 
you you put it at Port Arms to kind of like do a salute to your an officer or a commanding officer or somebody like that. So that's the show that you know. Hey, I'm honoring you. You know, and I'm, I'm and I'm not a threat. So that's yep. kind of what Port Arms is. So to me, that's definitely not a threat. Maybe just because I have a military mindset. Sounds like you need to do more push-ups, Mike. Oh, see? see I'm going to have to come across the counter here in a minute. <laughs> We're going to have some disorderly conduct in the, in the studio. <laughs> okay, so, all right, it, you know, so, you, you, so you're saying at no time ever were you flashing the crowd or anyone like that? At no time ever. Okay. And so I, I went to, um, I had two trials. They took me to trial in September um, we actually had a mistrial, and then they took me a trial again. And, you know, that that in itself, say, look, how many officers... And so this is past, officers? you're talking past the grand jury phase. We're in, you, this is actual trial. Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, sir. And so we're in trial. And to say that, I say this to say, um, they pulled all the videos that they had, um, police dash cam, police had uh, cameras installed at the concert, all of that, all the videos everything and twice i went to trial and uh and i was ultimately acquitted because at no point in any video or any any evidence or any pictures that they have you know had i removed my weapon or or had it in a manner to cause alarm so in all the pictures all the videos you're at port arms you know and it was not flashing the crowd or anything like that correct Ah, so i don't see hey i don't see where you're doing anything wrong and i'm and i'm trying to find something wrong and i can't find anything wrong and i'm actually (laughs) trying just so you know yeah, so no I, I can't find anything wrong. So, hey, Justin, now Lone Star Gun Rights, they do a lot of marches, a lot of open carry marches. Um, we have. And you guys do do it like a little differently. Uh, yeah, we typically, obviously, we, we tell everybody to sling the guns and don't touch them just because there is that law of disorderly conduct, which states that if you're carrying in a manner calculated to cause alarm, that's disorderly conduct. And it's it's hard for them to claim that you were calculating to cause alarm when you're not even touching the gun. Right. So that's why, you know, typically if we do these marches, and we've done some huge marches. I mean, we've done 150 people marching down 6th Street before, you know what I mean? And we always instruct right. people before we're doing it to to keep it on a sling, keep your hands off it, because that way there's no way they can claim that it's disorderly conduct. Right. And and definitely, I, I definitely say carry and carry all the time and carry every day. Uh, shoot, I believe in carrying two or three. That's just me. You know, but showers with them. Exactly. I, I go to the I swim in the pool with the gun. You know, I carry a revolver <laughs> when I'm swimming in the pool. That's just me. But what I, what I would ask of you is I would ask that you, you know, do, you know, use a sling, you know, because I, I don't, I don't want to see you put in this situation because you can only do that stuff so much. You know, you can only go through that system so much because it wears on you. Right. You know? And it really does. Even though I don't think you were doing anything wrong, but I don't like giving them the benefit of the doubt. You know, I, I'd right. like to ask. I know you were found innocent, obviously, but just out of curiosity, why didn't you want to sling it? Were you? What was the point, or is that just your preferred method of carry? Why were you carrying yes, it? Man, we, we do like, I mean, hundreds of, of open carries, and and we always, always carry it port arms. It, it's it's just more safe for me. Okay, and. Um, you know how I train and how we train, and so ultimately, since we train that way and we march that way, that's the safest way. It's the way that I know how to handle it. Okay. And um, I think more so is I was there to protect. I was there to protest the police officers, and they were trying to make an example and, and make me do something that is unlawful for them to make me do. 
And so because I was there to protest what they were doing anyway in violating uh, and taking a young man's life, I didn't want them to handle me any kind of way. And because I know my rights, I told them, look, man, I I respect what you're saying, but I'm not going to do it. Yeah. And I definitely like that you were being respectful and all that. And I'm, I'm very grateful of that. And like I said, I don't think you did anything wrong. You know, I <clears throat> I just, you know, next time I just definitely wish you'd do it differently. But, hey, you, you honestly didn't do you did not do anything wrong and you were found not guilty. Yes, sir. And I think that that was one of the biggest testaments that I can say is when you're doing the right thing. First of all, when you know your laws and know your rights and you're doing the right thing, then you have something to stand on. Because ultimately, when I went to court, they brought in eight different officers. They couldn't tell the truth. They, eight of their officers had different stories. But the, what I had to stand on was the facts and the truth, that I had not broken any laws. And I think it really should shed light on on the disorderly conduct law, uh, Penal Code 42, 4201, all of those laws that give so much power to these police officers. Ultimately, they use it when they have nothing else to charge you with. They just tack on the disorderly conduct, and I think it's something that we, we as a state need to look at. Okay, when we come back from the break, I'm going to ask you about some, you know, actually what happened in the in court. So I want to ask okay. you that. Uh, but let me go to my producer for a second. So what's the score of the Dallas Cowboys game? Uh, it's 21-10, but Dallas is playing a little bit better. It's Green Bay's up right now. Green Bay 21? Green Bay 21. Oh, no. You Dallas can't. just scored, though, and now the defense is playing a little bit better. So... <sighs> Uh, what, what, okay, where we're we doing at? good. What, we're doing better. What quarter are we in? It's five minutes left in the second quarter. All right, come on, Dallas. We can do this. Come on, come on, <laughs> Cowboys. We can do this. Right, we gotta go. We gotta beat New England's butt. I'm, I'm, I got money on this. I'm just joking. No money. I'm not gambling. This is, this is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Hello, this is Gerald Darty, and I'm the Precinct 3 County Commissioner here in Travis County, and you're listening to Come and Talk It. Welcome back to Come and Talk It, and now here's Michael Cargill. We don't always get what we want, but you know what? We're going to try for it this year. We're going to try. We're going to try hard, and we're going to push hard. And with that, we're actually going to do a press conference on Monday, and Justin's going to tell you about that. It's going to be not this Monday, but next Monday. We're doing a press conference. Yeah, we're going to be holding a press conference at the Capitol uh, in support of constitutional carry. I know for a fact we'll have Jonathan Sticklin there. Uh, There's some other speakers, some other senators, and some, some other House members that we're reaching out to. Uh, we don't have an exact list yet, but keep us uh, keep posted on Lone Star Gun Rights on the Facebook page and also on Texans for Accountable Government on their Facebook page. Because what we're doing here is we're going to bring different organizations together that don't normally talk to each other. We're going to stand on the same stage and say, hey, this is something that we're all trying to get past. Uh, like I was telling Kent here, you know, it's like, a, you know, he's, he says that, you know, every time he comes around me, Kent's one of my instructors, said every time he comes around, you know, it's like all these different personalities and all these different types of people, you know, because it's like, you know, I'm a conductor, you know, and I'm just conducting the orchestra and just put, bring it all together. You got your strings. Uh, I got my winds over here. I got my brass. I got my woodwinds. You just got to bring it together and tell your mother, by the way. Yes, ma'am. I carry in the pool. I carry oh my, my gun in the pool. Yes, ma'am. Oh I have a God. specific hole that I wear uh, that I carried inside the pool. I can't tell you where, but I do carry my gun in the pool. It just amazes me because every like 
uh, we were just talking about on break every single day. I've never seen you take a day off. It's constant. It's nonstop. You're, you're having to bounce ideas from personal life to public to whatever organization you're dealing with. It's it's impressive. Uh, I don't. I wouldn't go that far, but I, I know it is crazy because it is a seven day. It's a seven day job. You know, seven days a week, including Sundays. Sundays like one. Of, actually, the weekends are like the busiest times. Uh, in different organizations, Texans for Accountable Government, uh, Lone Star Gun Rights, African American Gun Club. Um, Log Cabin Republicans. I, I can't even I know I'm forgetting somebody. You know, all these different organizations that, you know, we work with that try to get things done and a lot of different conference calls throughout the week and different meetings and different groups and everyone's pulling you this way and that way and then they get upset if you don't attend one of their functions or how come you didn't know that this event was taken, you know, this event was going on? Well, I didn't know. No one told me. I didn't see it. Uh, maybe because I was at another event at that same time. <laughs> you know, it's actually pretty crazy. Uh, but we try. It's and, and when session happens, you know, we're we're trying to get a lot of things done in a short period of time because session is only six months. Uh, the legislature only goes into session the odd years. We have six months to get what we need done, accomplished. Uh, there are a lot of good bills out there. Uh, there's a bill that's trying to eliminate the intoxication from the handgun license uh, so that, you know, they're it, what they're doing is they're saying, hey, if you go out and drink uh, how about being able to put the gun you know unload it and lock it in your trunk and then drive home you know if you have the gun in the vehicle but have it in the trunk right now if you have the gun in the trunk you still can be charged with in uh intoxic you know unlawfully carrying a handgun by license holder and that's a class a misdemeanor so there's a bill that says hey how about we allow license holders to put that gun in the trunk and drive home because maybe they didn't plan on going out you know, so we're, there are a lot of good bills out there. There's another one um, uh, that reduces the the fees. You know, of course, constitutional carry. You know, there's a lot of good bills. There's one for EMS, first responders, EMS and paramedics. I think that's a great bill. Uh, but let me bring Janai in to talk about some of those great bills, because there's some good bills. There's some bad <laughs> bills and there's some crazy bills. There are for sure. And you got some good ones. There's there's a <laughs> lot of bills. Um uh, I've got stacks of papers here. There's in front of me. I've got oh, over 800 bills, and that's just the House bills. That's not even the Senate. Um, there's a lot of bills pertaining to gun rights. There's a um, a lot on immigration, education reform, um, allowing uh, purchase of alcohol on the weekend on Sunday. Um, you name it. Uh, so there's one. So the one about the alcohol on Sundays that that one is to say, hey, let us purchase alcohol on Sundays. Yeah, that's HB three twenty seven. I like that because I was totally uh, the New Year's, like New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, all that stuff fell on the weekend. Yeah, and it was sucked on Sunday to not be able to go. You know, I ran out of alcohol on Saturday, so I need some <laughs> alcohol on Sunday. And my goodness, I couldn't praise the Lord, pass the ammunition, or, or you know, do communion or nothing. Yeah. <laughs> One I find particularly interesting is HB 64, abolishing the death penalty, which I don't think many Texans are going to be uh, very happy with. I can't At least talk, I'm not. See, and I can't <laughs> talk about that when I'm in an organization that says, hey, we need to abolish the death penalty. So I can't say anything <laughs> about that. They'll hate me. But there's um, HB 281, which is establishing a statewide uh, system for uh, the evidence kits pertaining to sexual uh, offense. That's sexual something assault. that we definitely need we something about We need that. that for sure, because we've got rape kits that are uh, on the shelves for over a year. 
And that's sad. Right here in Austin, Texas, you know, rape kits that have not been tested. Mm-hmm. My goodness, you know, how you how in the world are you going to find, you know, the rapist? If, yeah. You, you know, and, and carry the, a gun, ladies. Carry a gun. The, exactly. That's exactly <laughs> what I've done. <laughs> carry, carry a gun. gun. <laughs> and there, there's some other stuff. There's some really funny bills. There, there are. There's some um, trying to allow no tax on um, feminine hygiene products, I'm tampons. Sorry, I'm, I'm sorry. Say that again. <laughs> no tax on feminine hygiene products. Tampons. No tampon tax? <laughs> the tampon, no tampon tax. <laughs> yes, excuse me. No tampon uh, tax. Excuse me. Um, sir, what do you think about that? The no tampon tax. <laughs> I got to go. <laughs> do you support the no tampon tax? Uh, I don't have an opinion one way or the other. Oh, now you don't have anything to say. (laughs) I I have an opinion. I I support abolishing taxes altogether. Oh, okay. Agreed. I will agree. Yeah, Yeah, all this, you know, picking and choosing. Are we going to do condoms next? I say, why not? Got to give the men something. Hey, got to support, you know, (laughs) support safe sex. Abolish the tax for condoms. That's just me. What do you think? I wasn't expecting this. I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. I, I, uh, I'm not a woman. I'm not going to claim to be. And your mother's uh, listening, too. She is. Um, <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> and uh, I've got no opinion on this one. Mm. You hear I, that, Mom? He's not even standing up for you. Uh, it was a house full of boys. I'm the youngest <laughs> of three sons. I I've, I don't know anything about this world. Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. So, all right. No tampon tax. Well, let's definitely uh, stay tuned to that one. Okay, what else is out there? Um, Something probably a lot of people in Austin will like is HB 82, relating to the penalties for possession of one ounce or less of marijuana. Mm. Decriminalize it. I'd go for that. I don't smoke weed. Not my thing. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry to disappoint you. You can do what you want to do. You know, I support you and what you want to do. Well, why are you pointing it? I'm just <laughs> Don't be looking at me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my bad. Okay. Uh, um, let me see. I've got so many more. Mar- Zach? Go ahead. I'm high on life. You're oh, high on life. Oh. There you go. That's what weight training will do for you. Ah, exactly. Okay. He's high on nuts and, you know, nuts and berries and, you know, raisins <laughs> and things of that nature, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. And I'm high on uh, fried chicken, collard greens, <laughs> mashed potatoes. <laughs> There's a lot of Planned Parenthood um, abortion bills out there. Well, none uh, of those are going to pass in Texas. <laughs> 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 they can forget that. Um. Let me see here. And there's a, yeah, there's there's a lot of a lot of good you know great gun stuff and there's anti, a lot of gun and there's some terrible anti gun bills that are out there. that's just not going to get any traction at all. My question for tampons: Are they taxed at a higher rate, like luxury good? <laughs> because if they're treated as a luxury good, no, they're then not, that's to wrong. My knowledge. But if it's across the board, then now you're persecuting me for being a male, which I don't appreciate. I mm. agree. No, mm. I agree. Mm. I, I agree. Either mm. that or give y'all f- no Nobody tax Nobody said on. you couldn't buy some tampons. Yeah, you can buy them. Yeah, you can buy them. I don't it know. just to be tax-free for you as well. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you're saying that they're, why pick that particular item? Why not pick something for men and something for women is what you're saying. I'm just saying be fair across the board. If you're going to be selective, why specifically that? And what is it for? I mean, is it a luxury good? Is it a higher rate? Or, you know, is it a medical? It, it's obviously a necessity, but it shouldn't be something that's 
treated as a necessity is a luxury good. And I can understand that argument, but if it's the same rate as everything else... It should be. I've actually never paid attention. Are you saying this is a man's world? I'm saying it's a world of equality, <laughs> and we're all in it. World. <laughs> okay, just making sure, just checking. Okay, all right. Any other bills over there? Because we're we're gonna get some of these um, some of these bill uh, authors inside the studio or over the phone to talk about some of their bills uh, and, and some of the good stuff, the bad stuff, and the crazy stuff. As a matter of fact, not this weekend. Well, it's supposed to be this weekend, but I think we're gonna push it back. We're gonna get Texas Gun Sense inside the studio. They've agreed to come on the show. Texas Gun Sense, uh, the anti-gun. Well, they're not. They say they're not an anti-gun organization. Um, unfortunately, I do say they are. We'll but, put that to the test. But yeah, they, sure. they're going to come inside the studio, and we're gonna, actually going to get a chance to sit down and chat with them and talk about um, you know, the organization and what they're actually trying to do. And we'll see what happens. Also, we're going to have an owner of a gun store uh, in Lampasas. Uh, he's going to be in, uh, either in the studio or on the phone. I think he's going to be on the telephone. We're going to talk with him as well. And because he's actually been attending events with Texas Gun Sense, which I thought was kind of strange to have a gun store owner attending events with an anti-gun organization. So we will have them on the show. Uh, uh, The Texas Gun Sense will be in studio. And I believe the gun store owner will be on the phone, but we're going to get down to the nitty gritty because there's a whole lot of lipping and labbing, slipping and slabbing, jigging and jabbing going on. And we need to find out what's happening. All right. But. Once again, Justin, our press conference. Yes, sir. It's going to be on the 23rd. 23rd. We're going to invite the media there. We're going to talk about uh, different organizations coming together and supporting constitutional carry. Yes. And since we're still in the process of uh, getting the room and everything, that's why you're going to have to tune into uh, Texans for Accountable Government Facebook page and Lone Star Gun Rights Facebook page because we will be announcing what the room number is and what the speakers are, but we do know it's going to be on the 23rd, and it's going to be from 3 p.m. to 4 p.m. That we do know. And we're going to stand together as one. Uh, a lot of different organizations from different backgrounds, whether it's the African American Gun Club, whether it's Lone Star Gun Rights, where it's Log Cabin Republicans, whether it's you know uh, a state senator or a state house of representative, it doesn't matter. We're all going to stand together and say, hey, this is something that we want to try to get done and get passed here in the state of Texas. Uh, it's 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 like a, a boulder that's coming down the mountain, and that boulder's coming down. The only thing you can do is stand in, in front of it and try to stop it. It's gonna ro- it's gonna roll right past you or roll over you, but it's coming down. And so, constitutional carry eventually is going to get passed. And I understand that uh, license um, reducing the fees uh, that bill is definitely. I know that's going to pass this session because that's the signal that I'm getting. The things that I'm hearing from people in the background that they're going to either reduce the fees or eliminate the fees from the handgun license as a way to not pass constitutional carry. And I will tell you that there's not very there's not a very good chance of that bill getting off the House floor and not being amended. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> to right. include constitutional carry. All right. And we still have Lachady and Anthony on the phone. We're going to finish up with him and talk about what happened when he went to court. Uh, this is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Hello, this is Gerald Darty, and I'm the Precinct 3 County Commissioner here in Travis County, and you're listening to Common Talking. Hey, 
Welcome back to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. We're talking all things firearms. Now, here's Michael Cargill. Now it's time for GGN, Global Gun News. Global Gun News, sponsored by Central Texas Gunworks, the largest online gun store in Texas. In the news, Washingtonians may lose access to magazines. Washington State Attorney General Bob Ferguson introduced a bill on Monday that would limit the sale of so-called assault weapons with specific features, as well as so-called high-capacity magazines. At a press conference held in September of last year, he told the public that, quote, Just as the First Amendment does not grant you the right to yell fire in a crowded theater, the Second Amendment is not without limit. Simply put, assault weapons bans are unconstitutional, end quote. He goes on to say that if the bill does not pass the session this time around, which he believes it will, he will continue to bring it back next year and the year after that and on and on until it does. David Frocht, who is the representative for the 46th District of Washington, expressed his support for the Attorney General and the proposed legislation. The Attorney General also introduced a bill that could act as a backup since the success of the ban isn't likely. The second bill would expand background checks for the weapons and magazines listed in the ban, as well as introducing a license for the purchase of those items and restricting the purchase of those items to individuals over the age of 21 as opposed to outright banning them. Much of the stated reason behind these legislative measures is attributed to the Mukilteo shooting that occurred last year when a young man killed three other young adults in cold blood with a rifle he purchased. Utah Representatives Seeking Constitutional Carry Representative Lee Perry of Utah unveiled his attempt for legalizing constitutional carry for his state with House Bill 112. While the current law does allow for open carry of a handgun, Representative Perry has suggested that it puts law-abiding citizens at risk of committing a Class B misdemeanor crime if they happen to have it concealed due to unfortunate circumstances. The governor remains unconvinced and believes the concealed carry permit process to be satisfactory. Despite this, Representative Perry still feels confident that his bill will pass after he has a chance to convince the governor. As we reported on this a few months ago, Representative Perry, who is also a Utah Highway Patrol lieutenant, has been planning on introducing this bill for some time but says that his bill is not endorsed by either his or any other law enforcement organization. Of course, even if this bill were to pass, the concealed carry program would not be in danger since many would still have... Of course, even if this bill were to pass, the concealed carry program would not be in danger since many would still keep their permits for concealed carry in other states that have reciprocity with Utah. In fact, the state supplies more concealed carry permits to non-Utah residents than it does Utah residents. A batch of new gun legislation for Texas. The 85th Texas Legislative Session will be the site for multiple exciting new gun bills this year. Aside from the constitutional carry legislation, House Bill 375 being proposed by Representative Stickland, there are also a few other bills being introduced this session. A total of four legislative proposals are being submitted by Senator Don Huffines of the 16th District, who spoke on the Senate floor just last year on constitutional carry. 
Does a working law-abiding single mom who lives in a dangerous neighborhood have the time and resources to jump through the government hoops? Why should she have to when we know that her right to carry and defend herself is fundamental and constitutional? The joint resolution number 30 proposes a Texas constitutional amendment making the adoption, enforcement, ordinance, an order of a mandatory registration of firearms illegal by either the state of Texas or any political subdivision of the state. Another bill, Senate Bill Number 458, would change the laws that apply to LTC holders while under the influence of alcohol and would make it so only an individual with a firearm on their person can be charged with illegal possession while intoxicated. The argument from the senator is that if an individual who carries legally has firearms locked in their trunk while driving after a drink, but still being below the .08 driving limit, they shouldn't be charged with illegal possession. Another bill, Senate Bill Number 459, deals with taxation. This legislation would restrict municipalities' ability to tax the sale, purchase, or manufacture of firearms, air guns, knives, ammunitions, or supplies other than what is authorized by the state. The final proposed legislation is concurrent resolution that would appropriately make the cannon of the Battle of Gonzales the official state gun of Texas. Taxi Driver Self-Defense from an Ice Pick Earlier this week, a New York taxi driver was able to defend himself from an assault committed by one of his passengers. After the Rochester taxi driver by the name of Colin Green drove a woman to multiple locations, she refused to pay and became aggressive. When Colin got out of the vehicle and tried to call the police, the passenger stepped out of the van wielding a weapon. It turned out to be an ice pick that she had been concealing and she began threatening Colin and walking toward him. Thankfully, he had taken the time to get his license for a concealed firearm and pulled it out while ordering her to stop. After she continued to approach, he began to retreat again and tried to talk her down. I was like, look, don't come any further. I don't want to do this. Don't let me have to hurt you. Later, he realized the attacker used the ice pick to break his cab's rear window as he was escaping. Lieutenant John Ballard of the Gates Police Department said that Colin did everything correct and only used enough force to protect himself. This guy did everything correct, you know. He, he used his, his, his handgun to protect himself, but didn't use it above and beyond what was necessary just to protect himself. Colin learned a lesson years ago about self-defense while he was working at the same job. He was attacked and stabbed a total of 13 times and luckily survived the deadly encounter. From that, he learned about the importance of having an adequate means to defend himself. And this has been your Global Gun News for this week of January 15th, 2017. And now, back to Michael Cargill in the studio. Justin, tell us about that petition that people need to sign. We've got a petition for constitutional carry. It's on our it's on our Facebook page right now. If you go to Lone Star Gun Rights, uh, on the Facebook page at the very top, it says sign up. Go there, read the petition. Last session, we delivered uh, 
towards the end of the session, we had about 45,000, a little more than 45,000 petitions we delivered. Uh, on the first day of session, we delivered 15,000 petitions to all 181 legislators. And throughout the, throughout the session, we continued getting signatures. Uh, we delivered them, delivered them to Dan Patrick's office, Joan Huffman's office. Uh, we did a lot of work. But, yeah, go to our, go to our page, sign that petition. We're going to be doing the same thing this session as well. All right, so Lachetti and Anthony. All right, so you were in court after being arrested and charged with uh, resisting arrest and disorderly conduct and um, also uh, for carrying a long gun, which is kind of crazy. So you're in court, and you're saying that the officers came in in, in court to testify, and the officers were giving different stories. Yes, sir. All right, so so uh, tell me, uh, were they... Did they find them in contempt at all? You know what? It's funny. Um, We went to trial twice, and they brought in three officers, three of the arresting officers. And these officers all came in and gave contradicting stories. They were all lying. And ultimately, it all boiled down to they got an order from the top to come arrest me, period. It didn't have anything to do with me, me committing a crime or not. They had an order from their superior officer to come take my weapon from me, come and take it. And and that's what they did. And so um, the three officers that came, they got ate up on on the stands by my lawyers. And then um, the next time we went to trial, that trial, we we got a mistrial. So they brought me back to trial again. And the next time they brought me to trial, they brought five completely different officers. And this time they brought the superior officers. And that way they avoided... Um, perjuring themselves with the other three officers because my, my lawyers were going to eat them up on the things that they had already testified to. And so to keep them from perjuring themselves, they brought five different officers in. Oh, okay. I see. Okay. And so in the end, you were found not guilty. Yes, sir. Not guilty. I was found not guilty. And I, I think uh, not guilty kind of takes away from the fact that I was innocent in the first place. Mm. Uh, when we say not guilty, it, it just holds some kind of stigma. But the, the fact that I was innocent in the first place, uh, I think, is, is, is a testament. Now, do you think you would do it differently the next time? Actually, I don't. Um, I, I'm, I'm heeding all the instruction from you all and definitely taking it in, into account. But uh, the thing about, about protests is they're supposed to be uncomfortable. Um, you know, if, if, if they were comfortable, they wouldn't be protests. And so I'm, I'm there to make a stance about laws that are either outdated or just not conducive to the black community uh, where we don't see fair treatment in the legal and justice system. And so when we say no justice, no peace, that's exactly what we mean. I'm, I'm more like the Malcolm X to the Dr. King, and a lot of people don't know how they work together and influence each other. The thing is this, if you guys can't give us uh, fair treatment in the court, and this is the alternative, we'll just continue to teach our community to arm themselves and we'll police our own communities. So unless you want us to start picking up arms and not trusting in the judicial system, then treat us fairly. Give us what's right. Clear, there's a lot of things that are going on that we know, you know, should go a different way, but they don't. And so if you guys are not going to treat us fairly, then this is the or else. This is the alternative. Man, that was great. I, I, I'm with you 100%. You know, and that's why the, we do the things that we do here in Austin you know, at the legislature to make sure uh, that, you know, you can continue doing the things that you're doing. Um, the thing uh, that's important, the Dutton Amendment. Uh, people don't remember the Dutton Amendment. That was an amendment that was uh, added 
to open carry in 2015 that was removed. It was added in the House, but removed in the Senate. You can thank, thank Joan Huffman for that. Yeah. So the Dutton Amendment, what that did was that said, hey, you know, just like a, a long gun, you know, even your situation, a long gun, you don't need a, a ID or anything. If you're carrying, a, you're openly carrying a long gun, you're not doing it in any threatening manner. It's you're not committing a crime. You're not doing anything wrong. So they said, right. well, hey, you know, let's do that with open carry with the handgun. And they say, hey, officers yeah. can't ask you for any ID or anything like that. And so the Dutton Amendment was added in the House, but then eventually removed in the Senate uh, when uh, officers like Cheat Officer. Uh, Chief Art Acevedo showed up to the Capitol uh, in the Senate committee and with other chief law enforcement officers from around the the, the state and had that amendment pulled out. And so I, I think, you know, that that was actually that that was a good tool. It is a good tool. And so luckily, even with the handgun license, you're carrying a handgun. The law says that, hey, you know, if you're carrying that handgun, the law says you're supposed to show that officer your your handgun license. But the punishment was removed, and that punishment was removed quite a few years ago. So there's no punishment for not showing your your driver's license or your ID. But I always tell my students to go ahead and show it to them anyway, because just it saves you from you know that confrontation with law enforcement. And they will take you to jail. Yeah, they will. They will. They will detain you until they identify that you're a license holder. Yeah, because even though there's not a penalty for that, uh, once they put the handcuffs on, you are uh, in their eyes, you are legally arrested. And if you if you refuse to ID at that point, then uh, then, it, then it is a crime. Right. So, it is. It's there are a lot of laws that are out there, and it's difficult. So, you know, definitely, you know, I urge you. You know, I, I hear what you're saying, man. I love what you said, as a matter of fact, and that's why we do what we're doing here in Austin. So, you continue to keep doing what you're doing. You know, make sure you're doing it safe, um, and make sure you're following the laws, and and just continue to fight and stay strong. And in the end, not guilty. I appreciate everything you guys are doing in Austin and keep up the good fight. I mean, ultimately, this is just one stance that I got. I'm running for city council here in McKinney, Texas, District 1. So we understand the laws. We understand that we have to be in a position to change those things, and we're advocating the change on, on our level. So I appreciate the time on here. You guys keep up the fight there, and we're definitely fighting here. All right. Thank you, LaShawn. And, and, and I really appreciate it. And you keep doing what you're doing and be safe out there. I appreciate it. You too. Thank you. All righty. All right, so let's see. So we got session has already started. Started January the tenth, and it's it started out with a. I tell you, it, it was really clear uh, with the Speaker of the House getting a, a, a majority. That well, you know, unanimous decision, and I was actually shocked by that. But it it sent a signal. It said, "Hey, you I know." Under, well, here's the thing. I understand why all the Republicans voted for him, but the fact that a hundred percent of Democrats voted for him is the scary part. Yeah. Well, it, you know what I'm saying? Because, because they know that if they don't do that, they don't vote for him, their stuff's not going to pass. They're dead in the water. It should be that way anyways. Right? That's, and that's Republican the, majorities, super majorities, both chambers. I agree. So that, that's, that's what I'm saying. The yeah. fact that 100% of Democrats voted for him is quite telling to me. Mm. Yeah. And, but keep in mind, you know, we, got, we did get the, the, the first piece of good legislation in, in, in quite a few years that can still hang on license in 1995. Keep in mind that was a, a Democratic, you know, House, a Democratic Senate, not a Republican House or yeah, Senate. Yeah, but these are not the same Democrats. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I agree. All right. So now what have you learned from your experience here on the show? It's in. It, uh, there's definitely even more information than I was already expecting. 
Um, Are you ready to run for like uh, for mayor, president. to the council, president? Let's uh, yeah, let's do it. Let's go ahead and run for mayor of San Marcos. You gonna run for mayor of San Marcos? You gonna yeah. step on step on out there? Eventually, if I if I make San Marcos my home, I might just do that's it. Hayes County, right? Yes. So you're doing some work down there at Hayes County? <clears throat> yes. Okay. All right. Well, so you definitely keep up the fight, and 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 Janai is gonna keep us up to date on some of these different bills. Uh, she's gonna let us know. Um, yeah, I thought every week we could bring up, we could mention five bills, let everyone know who the um, uh, author of the bill is, and then we can try to contact some of them and get them in studio or on the phone, talk to them about their bill. Nice. Nice. So we're definitely going to get them inside the studio and say, hey, what's going on with this crazy bill? <laughs> and definitely don't forget Lone Star Gun Rights uh, p- Petition. Definitely want to sign that petition, and it's located where? Lone Star Gun Rights on Facebook. Uh, you can actually go to LoneStarGR.com as well, and you'll find it on our webpage. But I urge you to go to the Facebook page because we just created an event right now for the press conference. Go ahead and get signed up on that. That way, anytime we update the information, like the list of speakers and the exact room number, that way you, you, you instantly get that notification. All right, awesome. All right, so we hope to see you there and hope to start this session out nice and strong and get a lot of things done, get a lot of things passed, and, and, and make it better uh, for Texans and, and our way of life. Lashadian Anthony was arrested and charged with resisting arrest and disorderly conduct in Arlington, Texas, for carrying a long gun, but was found not guilty earlier this week. Now this, you know, I think is actually pathetic, and I, I honestly can't believe it, that officers in the state of Texas which has a, you know, has long been seen as one of the more gun friendly states, arrested an individual because he was peacefully carrying a legal firearm in plain view. Even though this particular case wouldn't have been affected by the Dutton Amendment, because this case was with a long gun, not a handgun, it sets the stage of why the amendment is important. The Dutton Amendment would have barred law enforcement from requesting proof of licensing from individuals who are openly carrying handguns while not committing a crime. Police Chief Arnold Cervadio showed up to the Capitol with heads of law enforcement organizations and influenced the Senate enough to vote out the amendment. Now, people talk about the, quote, normalization of gun culture like it's a bad thing. Instead, Recognize that the firearm has long been a culture symbol, an idea in our history, both nationally and locally here in Texas. A flag was raised with the words, come and take it. And it didn't have a depiction of a pair of yoga pants or a gluten-free pastry. It had a gun. So remember this, more guns equals less crime. Go out and buy yourself a gun. You've been listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. I'll take my life, my liberty, my pursuit of happiness, just let me be. I'll take my guns, my home on the range, I'll take my Bible, you can keep your change. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. 
plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.